to be here in the Pacific Northwest. I'm originally from California, um, and we're in the northern part of, of Honduras, hotter than you've ever imagined. So here I've been, been uh, we're at the tail end, my daughter and I are at the tail end of an 11-day trip here in, in the Seattle area, and it has been absolutely freezing. I know you think it's been hot. <laughs> And, you, and, and you've, been, you've been waiting for those dark days to come in the fall, but I tell you, man, this is, it's, but I'm not complaining, it's great. I'm stocking up on this cold weather, it's good stuff. So what I want to do today, let me just tell you, um, my name is Mike, I was the guy talking up in the video, and I'm the team leader of what is now, I said, 12, 12 person team in La Ceiba, Honduras, it's now a 14 person team. Uh, and we've been there for five years, when my wife and I uh, arrived uh, five years ago, uh, we got off the airplane and no one was there to greet us and we didn't know we were gonna, where we were going to sleep the first night and, and, and that's how the ministry started. And now it is, it's grown to uh, just an astonishing uh, amount of work and ministry and church plants. I've given you a little bit of inside baseball here. When I get my, family, my daughter and I leave tomorrow night to fly back to Honduras and within a week we'll probably extend an offer to uh, our third pastor to start our third church. Uh, we are... We are doing uh, work on our second medical clinic. Uh, you saw the floor uh, had been poured on our seminary. Uh, we're providing uh, theological education for our pastors and other pastors in the community. And there's so many other neat things going on. But I'm a numbers guy. And, and, and guys, you kind of know this. My, my wife's the touchy-feely story person, right? And I want to sit and show you bar graphs and, and pie charts and numbers. And my wife says, no, no, stop doing that. That's horrific. So... <laughs> So here's what I want to do is, is uh, what I'd like to do um, for the short time that I've got here is I want to share a little bit about what's going on in the lives of three people in, in, in Honduras. It's going to be very short. And then I'd like to transition into a brief message for you on missions and, and about all of our roles in mission and what we're called to do. So let me start by talking to you about Tonito. And if you know uh, a little bit of Spanish, you put ito on the end of any word and it means little. So little Tony. Um, works perfect because little Tony is, is uh, when we first met him, was 14 years old, about 95 pounds. Um, when we first encountered him on, on the streets of Honduras, he was stoned on probably glue, but maybe liquor as well. And he, we, we went to pick him up and literally just, just dead, just dead weight. And we, we offered to bring Tony in, you know, first we started with a meal and we got to know him. And then we were just at that time starting a street children's drop-in center for homeless kids in, in La Ceiba. And I know it's, those are homeless and kids are two words that should never go together in, in a sentence. But um, we have in this, in this homeless center uh, for, for kids, we have um, anywhere from 12 to 25 kids every day. And we, we, provide them with a gospel and with, with uh, meals and clean clothes, and, and they do Bible verse memorization and catechism questions, and it's just astonishing. So Tonito, you know, these kids are, they've been hurt. They, they're, they're on the streets not because it's a good thing, because that's their last place to go. So I won't get into the ugly details of Tonito's life that we discovered later, but he didn't want to be around adults. He had no desire to be around strangers, and he had been hurt by, by people. And so we finally, after time, we got Tonito into our, our ministry center for, for homeless kids and, and started fattening him up a little bit and got him some clean clothes and got him a little bit of 
plugging him back into his, his, uh, his mom. It's, we don't know where his mom is. Uh, dad's long gone. Plugged him in with his aunt. And his aunt had been looking for him for months. And uh, we're now literally a, a, a year and a half into our, into our um, relationship with Donito. He's now put on about 35 pounds. We actually got him plugged into uh, high school. He's actually attending high school. He's living with his aunt. And his aunt is um, building bracelets, or building bracelets, constructing, crafting bracelets. I'm a guy, sorry. Crafting bracelets. I know the Spanish word. I don't know the English word. Um, making bracelets and selling them to, to tourist shops and to people that come into town so that she can provide a home for Tonito and her own kids. And so this is just a wonderful story. We don't know, I don't know where Tonito's going to go. I don't know what's going to happen with his mom, but right now um, it's, a, it's a wonderful story. Um, and in this story, I'll do my best not to cry, but I don't trust that I will. But um, we also have, I mentioned in the video, uh, we have a place called Puerta de Esperanza, Door of Hope. And it's a home for um, teenage moms, single teenage moms and their babies. And they come off the streets and, uh, and sometimes literally uh, escaping prostitution or escaping life on the streets. Um, in, in this one case, uh, Glenice and her, um, her, sorry, <laughs> her baby Elias um, came from a, a dirt floor with, a, with, a, with a, a, a house made of uh, moldy wood and a tin roof. And um, it's one of those things where you look at it and you're like, this is a, this is a failure of a story, Mike. Why are you telling the story? Because Glenice came with her baby, Elias, and Elias was off the charts underweight. And uh, his diapers were full of worms. And, and um, so they came into our home, our home for, for teenage single moms, and, and they were doing really well. And Elias put on weight, and, he, and his, and his uh, mobility became better and just turned into a real smart kid. Well, Glenice, uh, it turns out why she was suffering so much is she uh, was bipolar and schizophrenic and multiple personalities. And in a country like Honduras, uh, second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, there's next to no mental health. Uh, care for somebody like Glenice, but we tried to plug her in. She was having difficult times, and I mean, really difficult times, and she was hurting the people around her and, and hurting her baby, uh, Elias. And um, one mental health hospital in a country for eight million people, and it was six and a half hours from where we live. So we were able to put her in that hospital on two separate occasions, and she was so happy. She finally understood the, the voices and everything that was going on, and it made sense to her, but it didn't necessarily make it all go away, but uh, they put her on meds, and they got her counseling, put her in the home, back into the home with, with her baby, Elias, and, and it just still, it didn't, it didn't work out well, and we tried, and we struggled, and, and um, the young lady on our team that runs the, the house, is, she's, she's got a degree in math, I've got a degree in political science, and here we are trying to deal with a, a mentally ill Honduran and, and not doing a, a good job, but we, the community ra- gathered around us, and we, we did our best, and, and the hardest thing I, I think I've ever done is, sorry, is tell her that she had to leave, and she had to go back out on the streets, and she asked, she said, if you could help me, we, we put her in, a, in a, an apartment and got her started, got her a job, and she said, we take care of, of our baby Elias, my baby Elias, so 
she legally signed Elias, a wonderful, he's now two and a half year old, over to friends of ours. And, and my, my wife is actually not here now because she's home with Elias. Elias, we're fostering Elias for six months right now. So, um, awesome kid. Um, but pray for Glenice because uh, Elias's mom is, we don't really know where she is right now. So, third person I'd like to talk to you about is Umberto, kind of like Roberto, but Umberto. And Umberto is, a, is an 18-year-old boy. And uh, my first meeting with Umberto is uh, interesting. Um, I was, uh, there's a new gang in the community, and a pretty violent gang, over the first four weeks of them hanging around the community that we work in. It's called Armenia Bonito. First four weeks of them being in, in the community, four people uh, got shot. And so... Um, the community was horrified. I mean, the people were hiding in their in their houses, and and uh, kids were not playing on the soccer fields, and and uh, the gang was about a dozen strong, and they were part of the MS-13 gang, if that means anything to you. And they were pretty violent, and they were selling drugs. And um, so the first day I met Umberto, um, I went with Pastor Jesus, who is our hunter and pastor of our very first church plant in our mini bonito and he and i got to talking and i said we have to dialogue with these guys we can't we can't be afraid of them we can't you know the community is hiding and in fear and we we can't do that they need the gospel just like we do so jesus and i hopped in my truck and we went looking for the guys we went to a couple places where where they were uh normally hanging out and um and uh, started asking the gang members to say, "Hey, where's the leader? Where's where's the where's the guy? Where's the boss hanging out?" And and um, this we didn't realize was our mistake. And um, so uh, they they said, "Oh, he's over here." And then we got over there, and they said, "No, no, he's over here." And and so we're looking around for the boss, and 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 it's just me and my little five foot tall pastor Jesus, and um, driving around, and we come up upon, "Oh, look in front of us, there's the gangs. Oh, look, they've drawn nine millimeter handguns, and they're pointing them at us." Um, so they they had their gangster style you know handguns and flipped open the doors of our of our car and and dragged us out of the car and searched the car for weapons and began kicking us and pointing guns at our head and and um, what are you doing here? Why are you here? They thought we were looking for the boss and we were going to do a hit like i 'm going to do a hit on anyone right um, and um, just peace over both of our hearts and we talked about it later it's just comfortable just just telling them listen uh relax we're not here to harm anyone we're here to we want to talk with you who are you what are you guys doing here well this is pastor jesus he's the pastor of the new church and my name is mike i'm the missionary and i i run the medical clinic down the road and 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 so they we got up and and they put the guns away and and uh, you know, started apologizing. Sorry, you know, we thought you were going to do something, something bad. And so, um, twelve guys in the group at that time, and one of them is named Umberto. And so we got to talking to the guys. So why are you here? Why you know why why are you guys wanting to hang out with the gang members? And and uh, I told them. I said, I said, Pastor Jesus would love to have you attend service. We've got a soccer field we just built, a really cool indoor soccer field. Um, come play anytime you want. You know, you can't bring your guns on the field. No, you can't do that. And, um, but we'd love to get to know you. We'd love to, to, to just be talking with you. Um, when, you know, 
talk to you about Jesus and, and we'd love to, to be a part of, your, part of your lives. And so I said, hey, can I buy you guys some, some Coke and some chips or something? They said, sure. So went and got a little store and got some Coke. And so within five minutes of having guns pointed to our head, we were sitting down having soda with the guys. And um, so Umberto started talking to Pastor Jesus and he said, tell me more about what you're talking about. I'm not happy with living this life. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And, um, and so uh, Pastor Jesus and I started talking to Umberto, and, and Umberto uh, entered into a relationship with Christ, and he was excited, and he said, I want to, he says, but I'm scared. I, I can't get out of the gang. They're going to they're gonna have a problem with that. And so I said, well, let's go talk to him. And so Pastor Jesus and myself and Umberto went and, and got the gang together and we were talking to him and and we said Pastor Jesus or we said uh, Umberto is a Christian and he'd like to step away from the gang. Is do you, does he have your permission to do that? And the and the leader stood up and he didn't answer to us. He looked at the guys. He said, "If any of you want to leave this gang for any other reason than God, I'll kill you. If you want to leave to follow God, you can leave." So we had permission to evangelize the gang members. So um, within a week, two of the other guys had stepped away from the gang and started following Christ, and we would provided Bibles to all the guys. And again, I don't know where that goes. I don't know what happens with that. Um, I don't even know if in the, in the 10 days I've been here, if some of those guys have slipped back into the gang. I don't know. But that's not for us to figure out. That's for the Lord to, to manage. But it's exciting. Um, it's exciting to see the Lord working uh, in Tonito's life and in, and in uh, little Elias's life and in Umberto's life. Um, but those are some, just some neat stories that go on on a, a daily basis, and we, we get the pleasure of being a part of that. Uh, but let me talk to you now um, a little about missions and what, what missions is. What Three questions for you that, that, uh, that I'm going to pose. And the first one is, is why missions or what is missions? It's simply um, seeking the glory of God. That's what missions is. And we often think that missions is, is, is either those, those guys that can't hold a job in the States, and so they've got to go off someplace, and we send them away, and it's like, you guys go get them, all right, that's good. Or, or people that are, that, uh, you know, like martyrs and, and people that have dived into the jungles to give their lives. And I'm going to tell you, <laughs> neither of those two are true. Um, missions is all of us. Missions is all of us seeking God's glory throughout the world. Period. That's it. We are all a part of it. Richard Sibbs, 16th and 17th century English theologian, says, paraphrasing scripture, he says, the whole life of a Christian should be nothing but praising and thanks to God. We should neither eat nor sleep, but eat to God and sleep to God and and work to God and talk to God and do all to his glory and praise. Psalm 145, 1 through 3 says, I extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. This is missions. This is all of us as Christians. You've heard of the Great Commission, Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. It's not called the, the, the Great Request. God doesn't say, you know, when you get a chance, I'd sure love if you would disciple the nations. Or if, if you think about it, 
it would be really neat if you, if you went and, and baptized the nations. God says, go and make disciples. And that's, that's to all of us. That's, his, that's his, his closing command to us is to go. Um, if you are l- looking to, to broaden your library of missions and you maybe want to dive a little further in mission, into missions... Don't worry, this whole thing, just to, just to, let me interrupt myself for a second. Don't worry, this is not, this message is not the missionary guide coming to the U.S. to guilt you into all going someplace. That's not what this is about. Um, that's not what missions is. Missions is about all of us having a role in, in, in glorifying the Lord by, by reaching the nations. But if you want to read more about, about missions and you want to, the, the, one of the first books that I'd, I'd recommend to you to pick up is, is John Piper's Let the Nations Be Glad. Really good book. There, there are better books, but this is a good cornerstone book. This is a book where you really start um, to understand. He really summarizes a lot, of, a lot of things. And in this book, John Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions is, um, worship is ultimate, not missions. So I'm the missionary here quoting the guy who says missions is not ultimate. That's the, that's, that's the focus. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. There is a time someday where we don't need to go to the, to the far-off lands or to share the gospel. Um, that's not today. So we have to still keep doing that. Uh, we ha- still have to reach out to the unreached people. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, I'm, I'm starting over, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To me, that is when I think we start to understand our role as Christians, is when we say that, Lord, I have no clue what you want of my life, of my pocketbook, of my calendar, of my family, of my home. I have no clue, but Lord, I present my life to you as a living sacrifice, and I accept what you have for me. Um, that is when I think we start to understand our role as Christians. Um, David Jeremiah said, We know exactly what needs to be done to advance the gospel and fulfill the Great Commission. The question is, will we do it? Will we avail ourselves? Will we say, Lord, I don't know what you want of me. I don't know, but I want to be a part of your glory and expanding your kingdom throughout the world. 1 Corinthians 10.31 and this is the verse that was paraphrased. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So this is one of those, one of those questions you don't answer. But what does that look like to you? What does living your life for the glory of God look, look like to you on a day-to-day basis? How does, that, how does that look to you in your life? Um, the reality is when it comes to missions, we need to understand that the gospel doesn't teach us how to better love ourselves. We do that just fine. Um, the gospel teaches us how to better love the world. And we transition into the second question quickly here, and, and 
that question is, is um, why you? So why does God want you to be a part of the Great Commission? Why does God want you to be a part of missions? And the reality is, is I can tell you as a team leader of 14 missionaries, I got some pretty cool people on, on my team. I mean, it's really, really neat. Um, but if I were going to create the perfect mission team, I mean, it would, have, it would be a NASCAR driver and a Pulitzer Prize winner and probably Billy Graham and, and a, a Heisman Trophy winner. And, uh, you know, and none of our people on our team look like that. And if I were going to design the perfect missionary, well, it clearly it would be a uh, Ph.D. In, in, in Bible studies and probably an RN at the same time, um, fluent in multiple languages, having traveled the world and comfortable with cultures, and uh, iron stomach that can eat anything, and, and uh, a heart for people. And that's just not me. That's not, that's not me. Um, If you're anything like me, you look, at, you look at, at your relationship with God and say, Lord, how could you love me to start with? And then how could you use me? I mean, I know what's in my heart, and so do you. I mean, I can buffalo these people, but I know what's there. I know I'm selfish, and you do too. Why do you want me? Um, but here's the thing. Look at the history of the world, if you're kind of a history buff. What has the world, when the world has tried to conquer, when man has tried to conquer the world, what did they bring? Who were the big conquerors in, in recent times? The Nazis, right? The Nazis, the Romans. What did the Nazis bring? They brought great mechanation. They brought huge finances. Um, they brought um, just n- massive numbers and, and tried, to, tried to take over the world. Don't hear a lot about the Nazis anymore, do you? What about the Romans? What did the Romans bring? The Romans brought, the Romans brought, brought amazing training and incredible soldiers. Um, they, they brought a plan to, to, to incorporate or slaughter the people they came across. And they, they took over a, the lar- a large part of the known world at the time. And, and have heard much about the Romans lately? What about God? What does God bring when he tries to take over the world? The crippled and the lame and the old and the children and those that don't have those great mad skills I was talking about. How's God doing? He's doing okay. Um, God can use us. God, God does not want to send the best and the brightest. He wants to send us. Because what happens if, if, if God can do amazing things in La Ceiba, Honduras with the weird ragtag uh, socially awkward missionaries that, that we have on our team, you look at it and say, only through God could that happen, because look at these guys. Um, Romans, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all, we all are sinners. We all do not have what it takes to glorify the Lord, and that's why we lean on him. Jim Elliott uh, just if you don't know the story, another great book, um, um, Through the Gates of Splendor, tells the story of Jim Elliott. The short version of the story is he and his missionary butter, buddies um, went off into the jungle to meet this murderous tribe and to share the gospel with them and ended up getting martyred, all of them, um, at the end of the spear of the very people they came to share the gospel with. In Jim Elliott's journal, he wrote, We are a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt somebody. 
And that's what it's about. That's what global evangelism and missions is about. Hudson Taylor, another awesome missionary. If, uh, if you're going to build your missions library up, my next book recommendation for you is, is uh, Spiritual Secrets of Hudson Taylor. Great book. 19th century missionary who revolutionized missions in China. Um, did an amazing work. Um, started hundreds of churches and had thousands of missionaries and tens of thousands of converts under his, under his, rule, under his uh, leadership as a missionary. Hudson Taylor says, The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that... In the coming ages, we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is, this is not of your doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we bring, our, we bring our inadequacies and our problems to the table, and the Lord says, got it, it's all good, I take care of you. You just move forward and you glorify me, and I'll make sure that everything that needs to happen, happens. Quoting again John Piper, John Piper said, Keep moving towards significant investment in other people and making a difference, not just padding our lives with comfort. So why you? Why does God want you to be a part of the Great Commission? Because he's given you blessings and riches and abilities and, and a heart to glorify him. And how he wants to be glorified is he wants those who don't know him in the world to know him. And, and here's the thing that I'm going to pitch to you. And this is, transitions into our last, last question and in, in the, in the end of the messages is if you didn't know this, you're all pretty smart group of people here. The unsaved in Mill Creek and Everett and Seattle and Linwood go to the very same hell as the unsaved in the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa. And so when the Lord says, go into the world and make disciples... You gotta remember, these borders and these governments didn't exist then. These are these are creations of us. We did that. And and there are unsaved in your homes. There are unsaved across the street from you. There are unsaved in your schools, in your place of business. There are unsaved in in other parts of Washington. Coming from California, I can tell you, they're unsaved in California. Head on down there. They could use you. Mexico, Honduras, Addis Ababa, South Africa. And the reality is when we say, Lord, here I am, send me. I, I avail myself to you. I have no idea what you want, Lord, and it scares me to death, but I'll do what you call me to do. That's where we glorify the Lord. So then... Transitions us nicely into our final question, why here, which is a trick question. 
why here is wherever you're standing. Why, why do we reach the unsaved where we are right now? You've got to realize that there's no accidents. You don't happen to live north of Seattle because you chose it. You don't happen to be in the work or the school where you are, the neighborhood where you live. That's not just because you came up with it. The Lord has a plan for you. We need to stop living our lives as if there's all these cosmic accidents that happen. You're late home and rushing into the grocery store because the Lord has put you behind someone in that grocery line. You've got a flat tire so the guy that stopped to help you can hear about Jesus. You sit in the cubicle next to this other guy because he doesn't know Christ. God orchestrates that. God puts that together. Acts 1 through 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and, and, all, and, and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we are to be the Lord's witness in Everett and in Seattle and in the Pacific Northwest and in the U.S. and around the world. That's our calling. But this first part, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You get, the Lord gives you everything you need. He gives you the words. He gives you the, gives you the actions. You don't have to think, well, maybe it's, I mean, I, I'm looking up here at this guy, Mike, I really don't know, and he really is good looking and he knows the scripture. It's just for guys like him. It's not for me. No, it, 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 the Lord gives you exactly what you need. David Sills said, if someone does not have a mission's heart at home, nothing magical happens when they buckle the seat belt on an airplane. Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. We are all to share the gospel with the people around us. The Lord did not accidentally put you around unsaved people. Isaiah 55.11 says, you shall, uh, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. So you will not fail. You simply move, create motion. Try to glorify the Lord by sharing the gospel with the people around you, or if the Lord sends you elsewhere to be a part of the Great Commission, he says, if you move forward in faith, what I want to happen will happen. Don't worry about it. Don't have these grandiose plans. I need to do this, and I need to... And dang it, I share the gospel with that guy, and he slammed the door in my face, and God's work gets accomplished. Got a quote here by a guy by the name of Winky Pratney. I just love to say Winky Pratney. It's a good... <laughs> Winky Pratney, New Zealand evangelist, says, every Christian is a missionary and every non-Christian a mission field. But here's, let me close with this idea that, that we are, we need to stop looking at our lives like we are residents of, of Mill Creek or Everett or Seattle or Washington. This is our home. If you've been a Christian for more than a day and a half, you get it. You're weird. You, this culture is not wholly accepting of you in some cases, pretty antagonistic towards you. This is not your culture. This is not where you belong. So if you want to think about, well, what is cross-cultural missions? 
cross-cultural missions is you as Christians living in this world. But we're not supposed to, our, our goal is not to take the blessings that the Lord has given us and make ourselves comfortable and secure and happy. Our goal is, is to take the, the blessings the Lord has given us and to share the gospel with people from other cultures. In Leviticus 25:23, Israel was reminded that they were strangers and sojourners. In 1 Chronicles 29:15, David says, "For we are strangers before you and sojourners." In 1 Peter 2:11, Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world, this is not our home. You are in a cross-cultural setting right now. So now, what does missions mean to you? I don't know. I know that your calling to pray for missionaries like me or to write checks for missionaries like me or to go and be a missionary, it's all from the Lord. And so when you pray for Team Honduras, you are just as much a part of Team Honduras as I am. And, and, and so maybe the Lord has called you to pray or to write checks or to go or to share the gospel cross-culturally here in your own home. And I don't know what that means for you, but I know you've got a smart pastor and, and, and a good leadership, and, and I'm sure they'd be happy to counsel you and, and to give you some ideas how you can be a part of the Lord's Great Commission here or around the world. Paul David Tripp um, said, None of God's children have been called just to be recipients of the work of his kingdom. Everybody has been called to be instruments of that work. And where do I do that? I do that where God has positioned me. So let me close with a, um, the thought that, that the Lord has given my family great opportunities to impact the lives of Tonito and Elias and Umberto. But there are Tonitos and Eliases and Umbertos, just by probably different names, on your street and in the next city over. Um, the Lord doesn't have accidents with us, and, and he wants us to be a part of his great commission and to expand his kingdom. So um, let me close this with the idea that, that I, I simply, my prayer for all of us is that we view our lives as as missionaries that we are all a part of the great commission we are all called to be a part of the lord's work and the expansion of his kingdom for his glory let's pray father thank you so so much that you have in your scripture made your desires for us clear father i pray that that um we view ourselves as missionaries. We view ourselves as people who are called to be a part of global evangelism. We know you do, Lord. I pray that you give us the heart to be uncomfortable and to, to stretch ourselves for your glory. And Father, I pray that, that you continue to put more unsaved people in our path and that we continue to see them as ways to bring you glory, Lord. And we thank you for the Sabbath day, Lord. We thank you for the Lord's Supper that we're about to partake in, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to worship freely and to glorify you. And Lord, we ask all these things in your Son's blessed name. Amen.